When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to dismiss a movie like Jaws, but when was the last time you really watched it and appreciated it for what it is? Jaws has become quite a commonplace movie. It's such an ingrained part of pop culture and the movie Zeitgeist that many don't really give it a second thought now. But if it wasn't for Jaws, movies as we know it may not be at the level they are now. It gave rise to the blockbuster. It created the summer movie season. It changed how studios approach movies. And it let Steven Spielberg take his unique vision to the world. Jaws went viral before that was even a thing. So this is going to be a look back on how important this movie is and how it changed everything to do with movies. So before we start, welcome to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Welcome if you're new. Welcome back if you've listened to every episode or if you're somewhere in between. Before we start this whole thing... If you'd like, and if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. You'll find me there. Let's check this out. So I don't need to cover as much as far as the plot of the movie and everything like that, because it's a movie everyone knows, kind of like the back of your hand type movie. It's just one of those, like I mentioned, ingrained movies. But there's a few interesting things that set the stage for this thing before we look at how influential Jaws became. The most interesting thing is that Jaws was actually based on a book. This book was released in 1974, written by Peter Benchley. They changed quite a lot of the book, especially for the first two acts of the film. It, it, they're really a night and day difference at that point. They stuck to the shark hunt for the last third of the movie, which really uh, pays tribute to the same shark hunt in the book. The difference with the book is there are many subplots that are just not explored in the movie and many different relationship aspects and angles just not covered. The other interesting thing is the book is based on a real story. In 1964, sport fisherman Frank Mundus caught a gigantic shark that was terrorizing the area and was borderline impossible to catch. They ended up basing the character of Quint on Mundus. So here's how this whole thing starts. And Jaws is what we could call an accidental success. Depending on how much knowledge you have of the movie, it was originally meant to feature a lot more shark. Tons of 
shark footage, like mechanical shark, the different types they had rigged up. They were even, this is sounds unbelievable. Steven Spielberg was even looking into using train sharks for this movie, but clearly that was not an option. So a lot of the money, the budget, everything was put towards the shark because the shark was going to be the main character. It was going to appear all the time. We were going to see this thing in action. It was a full-on shark movie. But the mechanics of this whole thing became a nightmare. And the biggest issue was the shark just didn't look good. It didn't look real. It looked cheap. It didn't act natural. There was just no way to mimic a real shark. And it's been a long-running joke, you know, almost since the movie came out about how fake the shark looks. And, you know, perfectly referenced in Back to the Future 2 when Marty's in 2015 and says the shark still looks fake when he's attacked by that hologram 3D image. Because of this shark issue, this terrible realization of how stupid the sharks they created looked the entire direction of the movie needed to be changed and this is what changed the trajectory of movies and spielberg's career forever since they needed to limit the appearance of these really lackluster looking sharks they needed to create a more tense and ominous tone for the film this was ultimately the success of Jaws. It was the perceived terror that made it so intense and frightening, not the specific shark itself. If the movie had gone the way they wanted, we would have had a you know, Piranha 3D, if you've heard of that movie, or a Sharknado situation. It would have been this sort of amusing shark slasher film. But ultimately, it wouldn't have been taken seriously, especially since the shark just would have looked so fake. Instead, what we got was a piece of filmmaking genius. The impending fear is what kept everyone on the edge of their seats. Add to this the iconic score by John Williams, and you now had a movie that was terrifying audiences. People, as the tagline went, were genuinely afraid to go swimming after seeing Jaws. People were having panic attacks in the theaters, not because of what they were seeing, but at the sort of hint of what was to come. The idea with the score specifically, I mean, arguably the most famous movie score ever. The idea with this was to elicit what they called impending danger. And again, this is usually scarier than the actual danger. Spielberg, again, would capture this tone perfectly in Jurassic Park because as much as the technology advanced at that point, they still are really limited with how much dinosaur you see, especially the T-Rex, in the movie. So again, it's that impending fear which is always scarier. So this and the combination of the music... um, were instrumental in how effective this new tone was specifically again the music because the music conditions the audience into a sense of fear as soon as you hear it you know what's coming again also captured very well in jurassic park with the rumbling sound and then you'd see the ripple rings in the water as an audience we quickly learn what that effect meant someone was about to get messed up And Spielberg claims that the movie would have only been half as successful if it wasn't for that iconic John Williams score. So let's look at some of the main production nightmares that happen here. And again, depending on your knowledge of movies, uh, you may or may not know that this is one of the biggest production nightmares um, in modern film history. Spielberg went over the shooting schedule by 100 days. The movie ended up taking 159 days to complete. No movie ever 
had been taken that far past the deadline. He also went over budget by $5 million. The projected cost was around $4 million, and it ended up costing $9 million. $3 million of this was because of just the issues with the shark and trying to get these things to work. All the different mechanical versions, larger ones, real-life miniatures, all of it. None of it worked. And again, if this hadn't happened, the future of films and Hollywood may have been much different. If this movie hadn't have been a hit, it would have been the end of Spielberg. Like, no question. He was only 26 years old at the time, had a few movies under his belt, a couple sort of made-for-TV movies. No one knew who he was. He was in no position to delay a film shoot by this much and to go that much over budget. So for him, he assumed that was it. That was it for him in Hollywood. That was his one shot at it. He blew it, but, you know, at least he got there and got the chance to do it. In the future, he would use this experience as motivation to, you know, not get caught up in overshooting and overthinking shots and the budget issues. And specifically, this happened on Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Spielberg said he made it a point to finish the shooting in time to prove to himself and George Lucas that he could do it. So they finished actually early and they came under budget in Raiders of the Lost Ark. The big issue that caused all the delays in the movie, besides the shark issue and all the mechanics and all that, was this was the first movie to ever film right on the water. There was no playbook for how to navigate the unruly conditions, and it became an impossible filming environment. Add to this that they had to adjust the direction of the film on the fly because of how bad the sharks were looking, and you just got an absolute nightmare on your hands. Again, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, I watched it the other night. And like I was mentioning, you just forget how good this thing really is. And there are scenes where the shark can be genuinely terrifying, but limiting its appearance was the right way to go. And I was kind of had a stopwatch going while I watched it. The amount of time that the shark is on screen is only a few minutes in total when you add it all up. It's like there for two seconds at a time, two or three seconds here or there, completely limited. So they had a different movie than intended. They were way over schedule, way over budget. How was this going to play out? And this is where another revolutionary groundbreaking approach happened. And that was the unique marketing campaign. Before they released the movie, they had to do their best to promote it. And that meant taking a new approach at marketing. Up to that point, movies would let their films grow slowly and build up word of mouth. Universal took an entirely unique approach with Jaws. They came out with a massive, for the time, $1.8 million marketing plan. They spent nearly $700,000 on TV spot advertising, which was absolutely unheard of. The studio wanted to come out guns blazing and make everyone know about Jaws from the get-go. They didn't want it to happen over the weeks and months how movie studios usually did. They wanted an immediate hit. Their plan was to launch 24 30-second commercial spots that would air during primetime TV. This was all done in the few days leading up to the film's release. Again, never done before. So in all the promotional stuff, the commercials, they made sure to include bits of the John Williams score and the now iconic image of the shark in the poster coming up through the water. This would be pushed at every opportunity. They actually had to play around with that poster image for quite a bit because every shot of the sharks they were you know, designing and marketing 
just didn't look menacing enough. And they realized they had to get an underneath shot of seeing the mouth and the teeth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Again, this has never been done before, this sort of commercial campaign. And the idea was that they wanted everyone to be aware aware of Jaws. And since there were only like three networks at the time, there was no way people didn't know of Jaws, especially with all those different uh, commercial spots. This unique approach may have been because it was released in the summer. Summer movies were not a thing at this point. This is going into 1975. This was usually a time, believe it or not, when studios dumped unwanted pictures. The winter was when the big-time movies were released. These days, I mean, there's various times a year where they sort of, you know, dump movies that aren't necessarily massive hits. And I'd say it would be sort of the late winter, early spring might be the time when they do that. Basically, there was no such thing as the summer blockbuster season. Jaws changed this forever. So how did it do? Obviously amazing because we're here talking about it. But what started was the test screenings. And this was in March of 1975. They went very well. They went better than most test screenings have ever gone for a studio. So that's what really got the ball rolling again on pushing this thing hard. Now with all the interest from the marketing campaign, and again, remember the novel was very successful too. Uh, The word of mouth is growing within the industry and most theaters wanted to show Jaws. And here's another interesting thing related to movies at the time. Wide releases, nationwide releases were not common. The idea was that a movie with a wide release was considered to not be very good, and it was thought the studio was trying to make as much money as possible before bad reviews and poor word of mouth spread. Remember, there's no internet, there's no blogs, there's no social media, there's nothing that could instantly sink a film. Awful movies were eventually revealed over time. So when a studio put their movie immediately out everywhere, it was usually the tip-off or red flag that this thing wasn't very good. A good movie would be rolled out slowly, built credibility, then be released in more theaters as the demand grew. Basically, you know, most people associated the wide release with a poor quality film. But Universal stuck to their guns. They released Jaws on a pretty astonishing 464 screens. Again, remember, there's no giant 30-screen multiplexes. Most theaters had one, maybe two screens. Actually, it was only 409 in the U.S. with the rest being here in Canada. So we got even less of it. So now you have two unique things. You have a rare marketing campaign and a rare wide release. This sort of thing had never been done before in Hollywood. And that's basically the way we can sum up this entire movie. But ultimately, Universal thought they had something unique on their hands, and they were right. Jaws came out with a smash and made $7 million its first weekend. Converted for today, that's around $35 million. So, you know, that's considered a maybe below average um, in today, but again, remember the amount of theaters. This is only on 400 screens, and it still made 35 million dollars today. The average big 
MCU film is debuts on at least 3,500 screens, if not 4,000 plus. Now, more theaters wanted to show it, and it quickly made over $20 million in just 10 days. It made $100 million in 60 days and soon overtook The Godfather as the highest grossing movie in North American history. Jaws was the very first movie to break the $100 million mark. And again, pointing out, besides the limited amount of theaters that were available, movie tickets back then cost around $2. So this is a lot of movie tickets. By the end of its main release, Jaws had made $123 million or $615 million converted for today's money. And it hadn't even opened overseas yet. It broke records in every country it opened and made $270 million worldwide or around $1.3 to $1.5 billion converted for today. This would be the world box office champion until Star Wars. Here's another interesting uh, point with all this. This was the days before home video rental. So studios would just continue to re-release movies in theaters for extra income. Jaws was re-released in the summer of 1976 and then 1979 where it made another 133 million. I've done a whole show about the advent and evolution of home video and specifically how Top Gun when that was released on VHS that changed home video forever. The, the studios originally were fought against home video as this would cut into their re-release takings. And this was the reason when the first home videos came out, they, they cost close to like 200 bucks if you wanted to buy a new release. They didn't see any future in it. The VCR was really not commonplace yet. It wouldn't be until the almost the mid-80s. And again, remember, this is like mid-70s going into the later 1970s. And most people didn't have a VCR because they cost the equivalent of like $3,500. And this is eventually when video stores started opening up. And before it was Blockbuster and everything like that, it was smaller little independent stores. And it was actually considered illegal to rent movies. And the studios were fighting these places, even though they were making money on the video rentals, but they were making more money on the re-releases. So the way the video stores got around this, again, depending on your age, you'd remember you had to pay membership fees. You remember that at your local video store? This was their way for the video stores to sort of circumvent that law. And it essentially legally turned a video rental store into a country club and that you would pay a membership fee to have access to these movies. And then it wasn't considered a public screening. It's a really weird thing. Eventually they learned, you know, how much money could be made on home video. But at the time, this wasn't uh, even foreseen as anything potential, you know, especially financially. Jaws eventually would come to video and fact of the podcast, it was the very first Laserdisc ever released in 1978. There's some good dinner trivia for you. So what I'm trying to say through all this was Jaws was a hit. And this is how Hollywood was changed forever. Everything Hollywood normally did with movies, Jaws did the opposite of. Consider, consider it just the George Costanza of films. Now every studio wanted their own Jaws and they would change the way they marketed their films. Movies would now get nationwide releases. Heavy advertising campaigns would also accompany this. The days of slowly releasing a film and letting it build up over time were over. Things were now all about making an immediate impact. Studios had no idea that movies could make this kind of money. Hollywood had been going through a bit of a recession for about five years leading up to 1975. 
If it wasn't really for The Godfather, there wasn't anything notable that was drawing people to the theaters. And there's just nothing was monumental. Nothing was just bringing people out until Jaws came out. Huge releases and giant marketing campaigns are completely normal today, but this is all because of Jaws. Everything, again, about this was copied perfectly with the release of Star Wars in 1977. They took the exact same approach and then became the new box office champ until another Spielberg movie, E.T., and then that would be the highest grossing film until another Spielberg movie, Jurassic Park, in 1993. The other interesting thing that I touched on is that Jaws and Star Wars gave birth to the summer blockbuster season. Again, there had never been huge blockbuster movies like this before that everyone had to see. Like I said, it was viral before going viral was even a thing. It was the essence of water cooler talk. You didn't want to be the person that hadn't seen Jaws or hadn't seen Star Wars. And since they released during summertime, people who had the summers off went back to see it multiple times. And since it was uh, more accessible to kids, say, you know, where the Godfather wouldn't be, kids could now go back multiple times and they had the summers off. So they were seeing this movie 10, 20, 30 times like that. It never occurred to the studios that summer vacation allowed people to keep going back to the theater. Again, it was also the 70s. What were you going to do? There were only three networks. There's no home video, no streaming, no internet, no home video games. The only options were really roller skating and disco. Jaws put in place not only what the blockbuster could be, but the entire summer blockbuster season. And I just did an episode a few episodes back about the 1980s and the summer blockbuster season, and I rank each year to see which was the best one of the decade, if you want to go back and check it out. I think that one was pretty good. So I'll start winding it down here. And this is what I mean from the start when I said it's easy to overlook Jaws. Everything we know about big movies today have their foundations in Jaws. Everything that seems commonplace about Hollywood, marketing, big releases, commercials, campaigns, all can trace their roots back to this film. If Jaws wasn't the success it was, Steven Spielberg would have been completely ousted from Hollywood and he wouldn't have changed the landscape of film. Again, then we wouldn't have gotten Close Encounters. We wouldn't have got E.T. and then Jurassic Park and and all that, you know, build and, and monumental epicness that, again, changed the landscape of Hollywood and entertainment. The advancement in movie making again, would probably be way behind where it is today, and Hollywood would be a completely different place. If those original mechanical sharks hadn't looked so bad on film, Jaws would have ended up an entirely different movie. Fortunately, all the issues they faced changed the direction of filming, created the first true blockbuster, and ushered in a whole new era of movies. So I'll finish it off there. Hopefully you found this interesting. If you haven't seen Jaws in a while, go back and check it out. I watched it on, I think it was Prime Video. Uh, but you, I th- It might be on Netflix, I can't remember. But have a look around the different streaming services. Uh, again, if you haven't seen this movie in a while and, and how good it really is, and just the tone and the essence and the atmosphere that uh, this movie created. You know, if you look past the fake shark thing and just sort of really buy into what Spielberg was doing with this movie. And again, if you can, when it, where I saw it on Prime Video, I think it was a more remastered 
edition, and it looks amazing uh, with the quality of film, the sound, all that sort of thing. So definitely check it out. But that's it for me. I'll just finish with, if you want to cut it off here, that's good. I want to finish with a way to support small shows like this. If you're interested in that, through patreon.com, which is a platform where independent shows can kind of stand out more and compete against the juggernauts that exist in the podcasting universe now, which is made up of, you know, big corporations, celebrities, huge podcast networks. And with patreon.com, you support the show for various, you know, there's different tiers that start as little as like a few dollars a month. And with each tier comes different rewards. One of them being the Everything 80s Movie Club, where I review the good, the bad, and the ugly of 1980s movies. Uh, there's a few shows that I support personally because I love what they're doing. And again, podcast is ama- like podcasting is amazing. It's just growing so big that it makes it harder for these smaller little shows to stand out. But if you want to see more, you go to patreon.com slash 80s. So p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s or wherever you're listening, there should be a link there. But that's it for me. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.